0: 9. Mark chapter 9, we're going to be looking at verses 14 to 29. This morning, just a couple of things to mention here. Uh, We have, uh, if you see uh, Jenna Carpenter and congratulate her, the National Plainfield girls track team won state yesterday, and Jenna was on a first place, uh, I believe it was the distance medley, and then a four by four who got sixth. So that's exciting for the community of Nashua and Plainfield. And then also uh, Trey Niederhoff uh, was at the state track meet as well and participated running for Sumner Fredericksburg. So we have some fast people here in our church. So not me, but them. And they're a lot younger and can run a lot farther. So <laughs> if you see them maybe during Sunday school or uh, around, congratulate them. Then also, uh, if you've been by the, the church here, you probably saw the Littweiler's Gold van sitting out there. And somebody asked me yesterday, was it broken down? Uh, no, it's actually in great shape. Um, they've updated their vehicles and they've graciously uh, donated it to the church uh, for our use. So we're very thankful for that and uh, looking forward to using that this summer, heading to camp, because a lot of those miles were used by the church, anyways, already. Uh, so we're thankful for that gift and for that ministry that the van will have. If you've made your way to Mark 9, and verses 14 through 29, it's on page 844 and 845 in the Pew Bible. Let's pray, and we'll ask God's blessing on our time. Father, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Thank you that we are held fast, not by our own power. Lord, if it was up to us, if it was up to me, I would falter and fail. My hands would slip. Lord, I'm so thankful that we are held by Christ. We are in Christ's hand, and Lord, you have wrapped your hand around his. What can separate us from your love in Christ? Nothing. No one can snatch us out of your hand. Thank you for that security, that eternal security that we have in Christ. That faith in Christ, the washing away of our sins, is for every sin, past, present, and future that we could ever commit, and we are held fast in him. And Lord, may that encourage us to grow our dependence and our trust and our faith in Christ as we look this morning at your word. Help us to understand, to be encouraged, to be challenged, uh, to grow our faith in what you have done and what you are doing and what you can do. We love you. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. Please follow along as I read our passage this morning. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. They were not able. And he answered them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you, can do nothing, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything of prayer. Some of you, some of us, I think all of us at certain points in our lives have issues with trust, right? Maybe very deep-seated issues with trust. You've been hurt in the past, and it's hard for you to then extend that trust to someone or to something or to a group of people, whatever it may be. We've had bad experiences, Maybe you don't trust someone, and it's for good reason. I had an uncle. We all have that uncle, I think, right? Who, as a kid, he was the funnest guy around, but he'd always play tricks on you. And any time I was around my uncle, I just couldn't trust him. And this is fun, I'm talking about here, in a fun way, right? I was always skeptical of what joke he was going to pull on me or how he was going to uh, you know, pick on me, or, or something in a fun way. And I always remember being wary of that one uncle, and uh, in a fun way, right? As a child, it's like, oh, what's, what's he going to do? What, what joke is he going to play? How is he going to pick on me? And that idea of being wary, of, of not fully trusting someone or something, That can grow from something that's fun and silly, but to very serious things in our lives, as I already mentioned. And we can become skeptical. We can become guarded. We can doubt. We can always look at the world, maybe glass half empty. Our trust is broken. We doubt. We have questions. We become skeptical of what people say or what they will do. We lack trust in people. Now, I'm not saying all those circumstances aren't justified in their own right, but as a tendency of fallen humanness, overwhelmingly, I think our circumstances, the circumstances around us, and also our interaction with people, it can lead to us not being willing to trust. Or in the terms of this passage, have faith. We become anxious. We worry. We become overwhelmed with what we see. Or maybe we become preoccupied with, I can't trust anyone else, so then I have to do it. Become self-reliant. In this passage, as we follow up the events on the Mount of Transfiguration, we read of Jesus with those three disciples coming back down and, and finding a crowd that has arguing going on in its midst, and there's a situation with this boy who has a demon who is being convulsed, and the disciples can't do anything about it, and the scribes are there, and they're arguing, and just chaos is ensuing as we read Mark's account. But as we get to the heart of this story, it really deals with the point of having faith, of trusting of being dependent on someone. And who is that person? As we look at this passage, we understand it that it's ultimately in God, but here, more directly, the second person of the Trinity in Jesus. Our big idea this morning from this passage is this, is that the supremacy of Jesus calls for greater faith in him and not ourselves. The supremacy of Jesus, the fact that he is exalted, right? We just... Witness that on the Mount of Transfiguration, that he is the Son of God. And as the Father says from the cloud, this is the Son of God. This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. His glory is revealed. The disciples get a foretaste. But now they're coming down off the mountain, in a sense, back to real life. And we are uh, introduced and met immediately with this situation. And it demonstrates again how the supremacy of Jesus calls for greater faith in him and not ourselves. Jesus is supreme. He has demonstrated again and again his kingdom authority here in the gospel of Mark, specifically over his spiritual enemies. We're going to read about that again. But as we interact here, the disciples demonstrate a lack of faith in Christ and a reliance upon their own, quote unquote, abilities. And this The the father of this boy looks at his circumstances and thinks, well, could anything be done? Rather than looking to Christ. Through their inability to cast out the demon and through this father's uh, faith or lack thereof, Jesus calls all who would follow him to greater faith, greater trust, reliance on himself. So let's look here at this passage. Um, A disclaimer as I was working and studying this week on this passage. Sometimes a passage breaks down well into an outline and the application points fit the the outline points. And as a pastor, you love that when you look at the passage, you're like, oh, it slices and dices so easily. This is a passage that doesn't do that. So what I'm going to do this morning uh, is I'm going to basically walk through the passage, making a few comments as we look at the details of it. But then I'll end with the two main themes. That's kind of our outline is these two big ideas that are, are represented here. So we're going to walk through the passage first, make a few comments, um, a few. Yeah, that's a funny joke for a pastor. I'll make lots of comments. Um, and then look at those two themes that we see running through this passage here. So let's, let's walk through it and, and look closely at some of, these, uh, some of these things. So starting out, Jesus is coming down in verse 14 with those three disciples, right? Peter, James, and John. And they come down off the mountain and it says that immediately... There is a crowd. So people probably knew that Jesus was there. He was in the area. So a crowd has gathered. His fame has gone out. His disciples are in the area. A crowd has gathered. And it says that the scribes were arguing with them. So who are they arguing with? Well, the scribes are arguing with the disciples. Um, the scribes, these are the, the teachers of the law. They would know the law inside and outside. These could have been Pharisees. They could have been Sadducees. Uh, the scribes, these lawyers, um, not in our sense of lawyer, but the law, the law of Moses. And they are arguing with his disciples. That term arguing is a ve- uh, couple different ways you can think of it like a, uh, I can't even say the word ve- vehement, I can't even. Anyways, you know what the word i talking They were arguing. <laughs> they were debating. It was loud. It was boisterous. This wasn't a, what do you think? I don't agree with you. This was a yelling match. And Jesus asked, what is going on? Verse 16, he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? So they said, someone from the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son to you. So here's this crowd. It's got people gathered to see Jesus and his disciples. Jesus' disciples are there. There's religious leaders and they're all arguing. And Jesus says, what in the world is going on? What is this in a sense chaos that is happening? A little interesting point of biblical theology here. Biblical theology are these themes and patterns that are found in all of scripture. So the Mount of Transfiguration uh, leans leans heavily and points back to Moses on Mount Sinai. Remember, we talked about the crowd coming and God's revelation of himself. And we see that there. What happened to Moses when he came down the mountain? What did he find? Aaron and the people and a great chaos of the golden calf you know, all this, this hullabaloo that was happening. And Moses basically says, what in the world's going on? Here we see Jesus coming down off the mountain and there's chaos again. (laughs) People don't change after, you know, 2000 years. You see these same patterns. So there's chaos happening and someone steps out of the crowd and he says, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So this is the father of this boy that was brought to the disciples. This is common practice, right? Throughout the Gospels, crowds bringing the sick, uh, the lame, the mute, those possessed with unclean spirits to Jesus and saying, heal him. And so Jesus and his disciples are in town. So this father, with probably no hope to turn anywhere else, brings his son. And it seems like that this unclean spirit, as it seizes him up, it, it, it has a picture of an, like an epileptic seizure. If any of you have ever witnessed that, an epileptic seizure is this rigid and tensing up and often foaming and uncontrolled action. And some people claim, well, he wasn't possessed with a spirit. It was just this, uh, this uh, uh, disease that this boy had. Maybe the symptoms are the same, but it's very clear here that there was a spirit that was causing this this demon, this unclean spirit. And it would be very awful to witness this time and time again, especially as a parent, right? You're helpless, utterly helpless when your child uh, has, his, has this attack from this unclean spirit and you cannot do anything. And so he brings the boy to the disciples. And he says, so I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able, which is interesting. So this is where the rub is coming from. The man brings his son to be healed by the disciples. The disciples have already gone out, right? Jesus had sent them out to perform miracles in his name. And they did amazing, wonderful things through Jesus's power. But here, they can't cast out this demon. If you've ever played video games, which maybe a few of you have in this crowd today, uh, you advance in levels and Maybe as you play an easy level, your character, you can defeat that, you know, the bad guy in the video game. But as you go up levels, the bad guys become harder and harder to defeat. And some people think here, well, this is a demon that's, in a sense, higher ranking, that they were more powerful. And so the the disciples didn't have uh, the the strength or the ability. This is a new enemy that they couldn't defeat. And we're going to see here how that isn't the case. But rather, their, uh, their thought, their faith, their trust moved from God to their own ability of what they thought that they could do. So we'll look at that here again in a little bit. But they were not able to cast out this demon. And Jesus, in verse 19, answers them and says, O oh, faithless generation. Again, this term of a wicked and perverse generation or faithless generation. Jesus, again, is demonstrating how this group of people who have received so much witness, the testimony of John the Baptist and Jesus himself and all the prophets and the kings and the writings before but yet they're missing the point. And Jesus is exasperated. He says this, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Have you ever had to tell your child something to do something again and again. And you probably have said, how many times do I have to tell you? How many times do I have to remind you? Maybe wives, you tell your husband that. Put your socks in the hamper, you know, uh, whatever it may be. Uh, How many times have I told you, do this, do that? And you become exasperated. It's just a, you just want to throw your hands up, right? Am I talking to a brick wall? What, What is it? That's Jesus's response, but... Look at what that leads him to. It's not a forget you, but it's a move to compassion. One author says this, these rhetorical questions, how long will I be with you? And how long must I endure you? Are expressions of frustration at stubborn and persistent unbelief. Yet this frustration does not result in rejection, but in action. As Jesus calls for the boy to be brought to him, despite the pervasive unbelief around him, Jesus remains faithful his messianic calling. Jesus, again, shows his compassion on this faithless generation. Verse 20, and they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. James says even the demons believe and tremble. This demon knew exactly who Jesus was, and when he knew who Jesus was, he caused this seizure, in a sense, to take effect on the boy. And he fell down, he rolled about. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. That term childhood is, is, is basically from, from a very young boy. Uh, this isn't like 12 or 13. This is like like three or four. Uh, this is a long time in the life of this boy that this has been happening. And the father gives more information. It says it often cast him into fire and into water. This unclean spirit wanted to, in a sense, physically harm this young boy. Uh, We have our fire pit in the backyard, and every time we start a fire, it carries kind of like this with our our kids, and for for good reason, right? They're crazy. They run all over the place, and you want to keep them away from the fire. Water's the same way. Two of the the scariest things with, with, with kids. And here, this unclean spirit was trying to throw this young boy into the fire and into water to destroy him, to kill him. But he continues talking to Jesus in verse 22. He says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus catches that phrase, right? The father is talking to Jesus and he says, but if you can do anything, like I don't know if you can, your disciples couldn't, so I don't know if you're going to be able to. All right, your followers who We're casting out demons and doing miracles, but they couldn't do anything. So you know what? I don't know if you can do anything. But if you can, have compassion and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can? I wonder what his tone was like. Was it kind of a, if you can? (laughs) I don't think he was probably that proud in the way he said it. But he probably just commented, if you can? Like, sir, don't you know who I am? And he says this, Jesus says this, all things are possible for one who believes. All things are possible for one who believes. This statement here by Jesus demonstrates his ability. All things are possible. All things have uh, the possibility of happening for one who believes. That word believe is, is have faith. It's to, to trust, to put uh, your reliance or dependence on someone or something. And he says, if you believe, is it just believe for the sake of belief? No, it's believing in Jesus and in, in who he is and what he can do. And this isn't a believe in yourself and you can do all things. This isn't a, if you try really hard and set your mind to it, you can accomplish all your goals and dreams and visions. That's not what this is. This is a, all things are possible. Though you may deem them hopeless." Faith in Christ, trusting in him, demonstrates, proves, shows us that all things are possible. Immediately, verse 24, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. This is a great statement of faith here by the father. He cries out, I believe, I believe, I believe in you, Jesus I know who you are, and I I believe what you say you are and what you can do. He says, I believe, but there are times I don't. (laughs) Help my unbelief. I believe this is probably one of the greatest confessions that we could say as a believer in Jesus. I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. Understand that this faith that we're talking about here in Mark 9 is not a saving faith. It's not saying, um, you know, I I need to... uh, Saving faith is when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. It's that one point in time. It's that acknowledgement of, I believe in Jesus. I'm a sinner. Save me. This is the experiential faith. This is a a growing trust of, of living out what we believe. So it's not that some of us are more saved than others uh, or that God loves us with those who have more faith versus those who have less faith. No, our faith in Christ for salvation secures us. There's, there's nothing that can take that away from us. We, we, we sang about that this morning. It's the truth of John 10 and Romans 8. If you believe in Jesus, nobody can take that uh, away. You yourself can't even take that away. But the faith that's being talked about here is that everyday reliance and trust on God and His word and His plan and His purposes and what He's calling us to. It's that, that contrast of, "I know what God says is true, but in my fallen humanness and sinfulness, I struggle to believe it sometimes, of to take Him at His word. And the Father here is saying, "I believe. I believe." Help my unbelief. Help the moments when I don't fully trust you. When I know what you say, Lord, but I, I, I doubt sometimes. He says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Verse 25, And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Again, heareth a word. Jesus cast out this demon. And after crying out and convulsing terribly, came out of the boy. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them thought he was dead. Imagine this shaking, this boy who could not control himself lying still. You think, oh my goodness, what has happened? Is he dead? As the spirit came out? But Jesus, I love this picture of Jesus taking him by the hand, which mirrors Him healing the younger girl from a few chapters earlier, right? He took her by the hand and lifted her up and said, give this girl something to eat. Here again, Jesus takes this boy by the hand and lifts him up. There's shades of resurrection here. (laughs) Jesus brings people from death to life. Takes the boy by the hand, lifts him up, and he arose. Verse 28. And when he had entered the house, his disciples came to him. So the crowds were gone, right? They're entering the house. Now it's just Jesus and the disciples. And the disciples asked him, why could we not cast out? What made this one different? Why before could we do this, but now we couldn't? And he answered them and said, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And some, uh, some translations or some manuscripts add the word and fasting. Prayer and fasting. I think if you include that, that's fine. Uh, It it doesn't change the meaning at all. But Jesus says, no, this kind cannot be driven out by prayer and fasting. And so the question is, well, was this a different kind? Was this a different level? Was this like a boss of a boss of demons, right? Was he higher up the management chain uh, as far as unclean spirits go? I don't think that's the case because we don't see that repeated anywhere else in Scripture. I think... What Jesus is communicating here is this kind, this spirit, this unclean spirit cannot be driven out. And the point here is by anything but prayer or fasting. And you might think, well, is it a specific prayer that you have to pray? I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at because of what precedes it in the discussion of faith and believing in Christ. Prayer itself is an act of faith, of trust, of relying not on yourself, but upon God. What Jesus is saying to his disciples is that this unclean spirit, any unclean spirit, cannot be cast out by simple formality. It cannot be cast out just because you think you have the ability or because you are my disciple. The power that you have to cast out the demon, Jesus says, comes from your alliance upon God. That's prayer and that's fasting. The disciples, when they were first sent out by Jesus, went and sent in the name of Jesus. He granted them authority to do all of this. So they did these miracles, not because they were disciples, not because they had the magic bullet or they had this incantation, is they were trusting in God. And they were saying not by their own power, their own ability, but by God's, I'm casting out, I'm healing, I'm doing these miracles. Here, it seems as if the disciples were trying to do it on their own power. And Jesus says, the reason you couldn't cast out this demon is because this kind can only be cast out by those who are trusting in God, those who are relying not on themselves, but upon me. The validity of their faith, or or, excuse me, the the validity of their power was their faith in God, not their own ability. And it wasn't necessarily even in in prayer itself, as if you say a magic prayer and everything happens. No, it's the object, the person we are praying to that does the work. So as we walk through this passage here, obviously big ideas of faith, of trust, of dependence, of power. So there are two big ideas here as we think of looking to Christ, his superiority, how he calls us to greater faith in him and not ourselves. First off, we fail to have this greater faith in Christ when we look at our circumstances. So that's the first point you could say here. That failure happens when we look at our own circumstances. Mark presents to us again the superiority here of Jesus. And that should call us to greater faith in him. The use of the term faith here, as I already mentioned, is not saving faith, but it's this everyday trust or reliance or dependence upon God through the events of life for him to work. It's looking to Christ in the midst of our circumstances that we should see or that we see as hopeless and overwhelming. And that I think is one of Mark's main points here is that Jesus is superior to everything that could happen in our lives and he calls us to have faith in him rather than looking at our circumstances. The argument surrounding this exorcism, the dire need of the boy and his father and the inability of the disciples points to circumstances that as we look at it would seem hopeless. How could you or I think of even having the ability to cast out this demon or to help this, uh, this man and his son. This is hopeless. What can we do? What can we say? We might think that there is no hope. And Jesus even calls him a faithless generation. They look at the circumstances and they forget who's with them. Jesus is with them. And you might think, how could they do that, right? Christ is with them. They've witnessed miracles. If you can, of course he can. I think that just shows our own pride because uh, the tendency and the pattern throughout the Bible is for humans (laughs) to forget that God is with them. (laughs) Think in the the Old Testament. Think in the wilderness, right? uh, God delivers the people out of Egypt. He did the 10 plagues. He parted the Red Sea. He meets them on Mount Sinai. He gives them manna from heaven and quail. Moses literally hits a rock with a stick and water comes out. All these things that God has done, but yet they still complain. They still look at the circumstances around them. They come to the promised land and the spies that are sent in and right, the 10 spies had grasshopper syndrome. One of my former pastors I used to work with, said grasshopper syndrome. They looked at the people and they said, we are like grasshoppers. They're like giants. They looked at the circumstances and said, nope, we have no hope. Like, Have you already forgotten what God has done for you through the wilderness? Think of the people here. They have the testimony of all those uh, events in the Old Testament, and they've seen Jesus do miracles, and yet they lack faith. They don't see And then even us today, we have the full revelation of God's word. We have the whole account of what God has done and what God will do in the future. And yet we still doubt him when we have circumstances in our life. And we think that they are overwhelming and that nothing can help. Nothing could overcome. Nothing can be done. We have testimonies of faithful men and women throughout the history of the world that have been faithful to Christ and see God do amazing things. Even here, people who have seen God do amazing things, generation after generation of provision, of safety, of bringing things to pass. We are so nearsighted. We get our eyes off of Christ and we look at our circumstances. And Mark is showing us here how we need to keep our eyes on Christ, that he is superior to any of our circumstances, and that our faith should grow. Our faith should grow to continue to trust him, to lean on him. Have you ever walked out on a lake that was just starting to freeze over in the winter? It's kind of scary sometimes, right? Whether you want to go ice fishing or whatever it may be, you know the ice will hold you, but that first few steps you just kind of okay, you don't hear anything, and you do the penguin shuffle um, and you you test it, you see okay can i can I rely upon this can i can I trust in this and eventually you become comfortable and you said it will hold you, and so there is freedom, there is trust, and, and you you forget about it right you you, you don't think so actively, okay, should I hold on to this? You just know, okay, it's going to hold me. Sometimes it's like that with our lives, with God. It's like, okay, God, are you going gonna to hold me here? And okay, you did. And, and look back, and you've done it this way, and this way, and this way. And so I can trust you going forward. I can rely upon you. I, I, can, I can not worry. Though some things are worrisome, I, I'll take that worry and that anxiety and that anxiousness and bring it under control and say, it's there but I know God is good and I can trust him even though I'm worried, even though I have anxiety, even though these circumstances seem too great and our faith continues to grow. And before too long, you don't even think about it. God, you've got this. I trust you. One author said this about the father statement about I believe, help my unbelief. And I think this is a good uh, good thought for us. He says, I believe it's a conscious decision. Despite his wavering feelings, right? He says, I believe. To step out in faith, help my unbelief, is a recognition that his humanity is still weak and that only in the power of God will he have sufficient faith. Ironically, this second cry is in itself an act of faith since calling on God for greater faith is trusting in him rather than in ourselves, the essence of true faith. His statement, I believe, It's a statement. I believe. Even though my feelings might be telling me something else, I'm consciously saying, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's the bold statement of, I don't feel like it. Everything in my fallen humanness and my emotions and feelings saying, I don't know if I should trust you, God. No, despite my feelings, I believe in you. But Lord, help me. Because I know in my fallen humanness that I'm going to struggle. So help my belief. It's an act of humility, of reliance. I believe. Help my unbelief. So we see here that our faith, uh, our our, our trusting in Christ, there's failure happens when we look at our circumstances. Then also failure happens when we look at our abilities. That's our second point. The second way we fail in heeding the spirit of Christ is when we trust our own abilities. It's what Jesus' disciples did. They'd cast out demons before. No problem, we can cast out this one. One commentator said, "This Jesus' disciples were evidently beginning to think that their authority came from their own status as Jesus' disciples, or the techniques that they learned from him. Jesus reminds them that they have no power on their own. It is only by faith through prayer that can they that that can. I can't read even read my own typing here. It is only by faith through prayer that can that they can tap into the infinite power of God." Even the most dangerous and destructive demon is no match for the son of God who is in a relationship of intimate fellowship with his father. So as I already mentioned here, this statement of this kind can only be driven out by prayer. Prayer is an active demonstration of reliance upon God and not yourself. I think that's a good definition for prayer. It's an, it's an active demonstration of reliance upon God. And we don't think of prayer as something that's active, right? We think of prayer as I pray, and I'm not doing anything. But you are. When you are praying, you are actively relying upon God. You are saying, it's not up to me. It's not my ability. It's not my strength, but it's God's. I'm relying upon you, God, to do what only you can do. It's an active reliance upon God. And this goes hand in hand with having faith, of of trusting God, living it out. I use this quote often with the teens in our youth group in Mason City. Is prayer your steering wheel or your airbag? I think most of us, for most times, prayer is our airbag, right? Something doesn't go right, boom, the airbag pops out. And so, okay, I'm going to pray. But what about before that? (laughs) What if we instead of only praying when things get hard or difficult, that we are actively praying and relying upon God as we seek to live every day of our life so that he's helping to direct and to guide and to lead our lives. Prayer is something we often forget. We look at our own ability rather than seeking the Lord's help and responding with an attitude of of trust, of reliance. These disciples were trusting in themselves and not in God. They thought that they could do it. They've done this before, no problem, no big deal. And what they come to find out, this is, yes, it is a big deal. When you seek to follow God in your own strength and your own power, there's failure. But relying upon God on his strength and his power is the way that we are called to live our life. Their failure, one commentator says, was not because they said the wrong words or followed the wrong ritual, Their problem was that their past successes had given them confidence in their own abilities. How true in our own lives, right? Their problem was that their past successes had given them confidence in their own abilities. Jesus calls them to more prayer, greater dependence upon God, who alone has authority over the forces of evil. As we look at this passage and as we contrast it with the glory of Jesus that was revealed On the Mount of Transfiguration, we see where the rubber meets the road and people, in a sense, already being distracted from who Christ is and what he can do through their own circumstances and the insurmountable odds, it seems, uh, faces people or the fact that they think that they have their own ability to get through it. And the fact is, no, we need to continue to rely and to trust upon Jesus. It's not just only for salvation, but it's our daily life of submitting ourselves to him saying, I need your help. Lord, lead me, guide me directly. Help me to trust you. Help me to submit my will to yours. Help me to live out your word. We see in this passage, the inadequacy of the disciples, the dire circumstances and the overwhelming spiritual opposition. But again, we see how Christ is superior to all those things. He conquers them all. It's a call for us. To continue to grow in our trust in who Jesus is. And it's a growing process. It, it's, a, it's a small steps of, okay, Lord, you helped me through this. You can help me through the next thing and through the next thing. And God's grace and his kindness and his mercy, he does that. And as we look back, we see, Lord, you have brought me through this. You've brought me through this. I'm going to hold fast to you. It's a call for us to continue to grow. To understand who Jesus is, that he's the son of God, the suffering servant king. And he bids us to trust in him and not ourselves. He bids us to look to him and not our circumstances. Our faith is not in vain because the object of our faith is Christ. It's not having faith that's the issue. It's what are you having faith in? It's Jesus. Some of you might have decorations in your house that say believe or faith and that's great. Those words are good words. But those are things that non-Christians can have hanging in their house too. People who like the idea of faith, an idea of believing. But truly, the matter of the fact is, the most important thing is what you have faith in. What are you believing in? We are called to believe in Jesus. He bids us to look to him, not our circumstances. Our faith is not in vain. as I already mentioned, because the object of our faith is the solid rock the chief cornerstone, the suffering servant king. So as we look here at this passage and the great faith uh, that the father demonstrated, understanding his conscious decision and knowing that he needed help to trust in Christ, I think we can echo those words and not look at our circumstances and not look to our own abilities, but as the father says, Lord, I believe, help my un." Father, thank you for the opportunity again to be here and to worship you. Lord, we thank you for the reminder this morning of uh, this account and this father and the disciples and their failures, but also and their victories, their demonstration of faith. Lord, I pray that you would help us be people who grow in our faith, who trust you more and more each day, understanding that even though our faith may fail, you will hold us fast and you grant us forgiveness and mercy and grace to help us. Lord, may our faith grow in seeing what you can do. Help us not to trust in ourselves, but to lean on you each and every day. Lord, we love you. We pray this in your son's name.